Okay. Um, I, I just want to, just as we were worshiping, and uh, uh, I don't know, what, what's your name? No dear, no dear. I mean, that was just, just wonderful how you led us into the presence of God. Wow, man. I sense something is about to break into your midst. I'm just sensing that there's a breakthrough coming for this congregation in whatever you're trusting the Lord for. And uh, I want us just, you know, sometimes when the preaching starts, we sort of come out of, okay, now the singing part of the worship is finished. And, uh, and sometimes we sort of don't keep on engaging in the same, in the same sense. But I, I want to read for us. I just want to position us. And I know that we are in a building on the foreshore of Cape Town, but I want to tell you that we're somewhere else. And the, and the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 12 says the following, But you have come, not you will come, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him, we're speaking for if you did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven at that time his voice shook the earth but now he has promised yet once more i will shake not only the earth but also the heavens this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and in in light of that, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is indeed a consuming fire. And uh, that is just what I experienced this morning. Just uh, Not just the words, but just that essence of that God is a consuming fire, and He is truly worthy of all of our worship. Well, we used to serve with a worship leader. He used to say, Solomon, he said, there's only two times that you need to praise God. It's when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. <laughs> and uh, this morning, I, I felt truly, this, is, this, was, this was just amazing. It was just such a sense of heaven. And especially as we started singing about the day and night, let incense arise. And if you go and look at that, the word of God says that the prayers of the saints is like sweet smelling incense and every time that we pray even this morning as we prayed for the nations it was so beautiful i i just felt you know the smile of god the pleasure of god as we were praying for the nations and uh those prayer this morning and sometimes we would sit here and we think you know are we really touching are we really touching chili this morning and are we really touching the nations this morning and but do we really believe what the Word of God says, that the prayers of the righteous make great power available? And, you know, this morning, these prayers have been stored up, as the Bible says, in golden bowls. And we don't know when the tipping point is going to be. We don't know how full those bowls are. And we don't know whether our prayer might be the one that tips that bowl and it's poured out in answered prayer. Uh, there's a guy that uh, wrote a book, Mark Buchanan. He said the name of the book was uh, Your God is Too Safe. And uh, he, one of the chapters was Perfume and Bombs. And he says that our prayers goes up like perfume. It's like sweet-smelling incense. But where it's poured out, it's like bombs that hits the earth and changes everything. And I just love that analogy. And uh, so this morning, I, I, I really want to commend you as a church I don't know you guys that well, uh, but I really want to commend you just for your commitment to prayer and your commitment to obedience. Uh, I felt it was two things that, that the Lord highlighted for me in the worship and uh, that the Lord said not only will he make this um, a house of prayer, but he also promises, he promises the following, and I will make you joyful in my house of prayer. So be ready for joy to hit this place. 
and be ready and don't be too surprised with joy but enjoy the joy <laughs> amen so i i just loved i just loved the, the fact that uh, the worship especially in the beginning was was amazingly joyful uh sometimes i feel that a lot of the the songs are are i like the melancholic stuff but you know i think we should we should at least start off joyfully <laughs> until until uh, something else happens uh, okay <laughs> more joy i mean okay so i really felt your commitment uh to prayer is is a commendation from god and i i, I want to i want to bring that from revelation when jesus walks amongst the churches and uh his, four, his first port of call, the first thing that Jesus looks for is he commends the churches. He doesn't fault find. He's not blind to the faults of the churches, but it's not his first port of call. It was, it's not his first observation what they are lacking, what they are not doing right. It follows, so Jesus does not ignore sometimes what's wrong in a church. But you'll find Jesus in the book of Revelation as he walks amongst the churches and those were perfect churches. I want to tell you, just read uh, about what he says to some of the churches. I mean, even the church in Laodicea, that he says, I've looked at you and you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but now you are lukewarm and I want to spew you out of my mouth. And it's like, you know, the translation is actually vomiting you out of my mouth. And, and even, you know, that church that he, that he finds almost nothing good, he almost tells him, I've really looked for something good, but I just couldn't find something. I felt like you neither here nor there. I was looking, and I want to say to you that as Jesus walks amongst us every time, and as Jesus looks at you, his first motivation is not to point out your faults. He's not blind to your faults. He's working. You are his workmanship created in him for good works. And the work that he started, he is committed more than you are to complete it and present, and present you perfect on the day of Christ. And I'm not preaching, you know, God, not, God doesn't see sin. No, he points out to the churches what they're doing wrong. And he doesn't condemn them this. He gives them a remedy and he promises a reward for obedience. But that is the heart of Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, if Jesus looks at you, if Jesus walks in your life, Firstly and foremostly, he sees what he has already done. You are his workmanship, created for good works beforehand. Okay. Morning. Um, as I walked in this morning, I felt the Lord said, my apple tree. And I couldn't understand, but as the worship went on, about just the smelling, sweet smelling aroma, I felt the Lord said that... Um, this house um, is like a huge apple tree. And it's, you know, apple tree, imagine an apple tree in, a, um, in the middle of a city. It's, at firstly, it, is, it, it, it attracts because it's, it's so beautiful. But I saw this huge apple tree and I saw the smell. Um, and it's not just the smell when there's um, the blossoms, but even when the, the fruit is there. It's a sweet smell, a smelling aroma. And I felt that it's a place of shelter, a place of people just come and sit in the shade. But, um, and I felt it's this export product here. And I felt for every, <laughs> for, um, and, and you know, with apples, it's just practical. What can you do with all the stuff you can do with apples? I felt that the Lord said there's a place for each one of you. There's so much potential. I just, I just felt the excitement of the Lord. He said, I, I heard clearly my apple tree. And I want to encourage you, you are a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And, and um, this is what God says. That, that is what He sees. Amen. When do you come here? Can we just pray that over you as a congregation? Father, thank you. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for this apple orchard in the middle of a city, God. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, they are like apples of gold. Set in silver, apples filled with glory, set in silver of salvation, of your great salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you will export from this place, you will export from this Cape of Good Hope, you will export fruit to the nations. Fruit to the nations. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I, I, 
I proclaim and I prophesy and I decree this over this congregation that the nations will be blessed because of but because of them and as they're praying for the nations that you will put nations in their heart forever and they will go to nations they will not just simply pray for the nation but they will pray in the nations and they will go to the nations and they will go to the uttermost ends of the earth and preach this gospel and then the end shall come i thank you for that i thank you lord for that redemptive purpose on this congregation in the name of jesus Thank you, Father. And you will make them a house of prayer for all nations. And nations will come to them, and they will go to nations. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. I, uh, I'm going to preach in a moment, but I just you're drawing these things out. <laughs> I just want to say something about what Debbie and the guys are, are implementing with regards to sharing what you have done about the word in, that you received the previous work. That I believe that is so important. I think it's one of the most important things with regards to discipleship. You know, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we all know it, and all authority has been given unto me. Go to all the nations, make disciples all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does he say then? Teach them to obey. You know, for a long time I read the Bible and thought, teach them everything that I've taught you. And I thought, uh, you know, the biggest thing about discipleship is you've got to get people into Bible studies and teach them a lot of Bible stuff. And teach them everything that Jesus taught. But then I read it again. It says, teach them to obey. Everything that Jesus commanded. So it was what Jesus taught, but what, what is actually the aim is obedience. Obedience to what you have heard. And James catches that and says, you know, if you only hear the word, but you don't do it or obey it, you are actually fooling yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And you, you think that you're living this life and you're, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, but actually you're not. You're fooling yourself. And... Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be fooled. And it's a beautiful, the, the Hebrew word for the, the daily prayers or the Shema that the Jewish people would, in the morning and the evening prayers, they would say, Shema, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, and all your might. And in that, that word, Shema, is, is caught, is to be able to hear, but it's more than that, because there's no Hebrew word for the word obedience. The Hebrew word for obedience is Shema. So it means to hear and to obey. In other words, if you have heard the word, but you have not done the word, you have not Shema'd. You have not truly heard. You have simply used your auditive capacity. And I think it's so important that the, in the way that you listen, you know, if, if you are just casually listening, if, if you are just, you know... Uh, you know, zoning in the conversation or just eavesdropping into a conversation, then you don't really listen with the intent that I've got to remember the stuff because I've got, to, I've got to do it. But before we have these wonderful devices that I could get here this morning because of a pin that he dropped. Okay, and, and that's wonderful, but I, I would have listened differently if Diabia phoned me and said, Jan, this is how you get to our venue. I would have listened intently. In fact, I would have, most probably, I would have repeated it back to him and, and I would have made sure that I need to listen in a way that if I do it, I'm going to get here. If I don't listen, I'm not going to get here. And I think it's so important that when we sit here under the Word of God, that we should actually listen, not as we listen to a little motivational pep talk. But actually, somebody came to me once and uh, he said, uh, after a sermon, he said, Jan, that is food for thought. And I couldn't help myself. I said, oh, I actually meant it as instruction for obedience. <laughs> and I think sometimes we handle the word of God as interesting, as, you know, we can consider that, you know, we mull it around 
And that's good too. You know, you need to meditate upon the word. But if your meditation doesn't lead to action, then you need to meditate some more. Because if we haven't done the word, then we haven't shamed. Then we have not heard the Lord. Okay, so uh, so I think it's wonderful that you guys are are creating this culture and creating a way that facilitates this. And some people would say, but you know, uh, why does why do we have to have those little structures? Shouldn't it come more naturally? So I, I want to ask, how naturally did it come so far? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So if something facilitates something that draws us to God, that's a good thing. Amen. So I really want to encourage you to become a congregation that doesn't just listen but hears. That Shema. That truly hear what is the Lord saying. This is in the book of Revelation as well as Jesus walks amongst the churches that he says after he's commended them, after he's pointed one thing out, after he's, he's given the remedy and the reward of that obedience, he says, let him who has ears to hear, let him listen what the Spirit is saying to the church. So uh, I want to encourage you to keep on doing that. And I want to encourage you that if you, if you haven't been at a service, uh, we have this wonderful, we have chauffeur sermons online that you can... Really, with earlier days, the guys had to go to one another. So what did Peter preach on at Solomon's porch today? That's most probably why they gathered together, to share the word of God. But we have, we have friends, we have WhatsApps, we have, we have everything that we need. So we really have no excuse, I wasn't there. Uh, so I want to encourage you to stay abreast what the Spirit is saying to the church. Uh, not as a law... But as just keeping abreast what the Lord is doing and how, how, would I, how would I do this? How would I put this into action? And if you don't know how, that's a, that's a valid question as well. You know, I, I heard the word, but I just didn't know how to apply it. Or I tried it and it didn't work. That's just as valuable as having this amazing testimony that you saw four angels river dancing on your duvet. And that's, that's cool too, but just ask the questions. And keep in the process. Okay. Uh, that was for just, we're going to preach. At what time? Oh. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, my word. Okay. Okay. The Lord has really laid on my heart uh, something about a hunger, an increased hunger for God. And uh, at first I thought it was just an increased hunger. Uh, and an increased desire just personally and maybe for the church and the churches that we're involved in and that we minister that that would be an increased hunger for God. And, uh, but then I just realized that hunger and desire that the Lord actually stretched me and said, okay, Jan, but go beyond yourself. Start desiring beyond your own desires. Start desiring my desires. Start asking me what Lord, what's the desires of your heart? What do you desire? Because the Lord already knows what I have need of. And as, as a lot of my prayers concerned concerning myself, and there's nothing wrong with it, uh, but I do think that we need to go beyond that. And uh, so the Lord just starts stirring within my heart again. Uh, we have been privileged to be in ministry around about 23, 24 years. And uh, although we haven't been part of a full-blown revival um, we've seen we've been part of outpourings and we've been part of where the spirit is really an increased outpouring of the spirit that has happened and we've seen what has happened in those the good the bad and the ugly and uh, and I just remember the intense desire and the intense hunger in the midst of those outpourings and I said you know sometimes you get busy with life and good things you get busy in ministry and all of a sudden you find yourself one day that, you know, it's not that you don't, you have no desire, but it's like one day is just like the next. And you're just hoping that God would supply and God would just like bless your church and God would just grow your church and God would just allow you 
to have a new plan for discipleship. And I just realized, you know, Jan, where has that hunger gone to? And I want to read you a quote by John Piper. And he says, do you have a hunger for God? If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. And, and I'm just, I'm, I've just been searching my own heart and I've just felt a stirring in my spirit to, to ask the churches that I have the opportunity to minister into and, and just ask you, how's your desire for God? And if you are having a great time in God and the glory cloud is hovering you over you every day, I want to tell you there's more. And if there's, you are dry as a bone and haven't experienced God in a while and you feel far from Him, you're not hearing His voice, I want to say to you there's more. There's not more and when we cry out for more of God, it's not in the sense that we are saying or shaking our fists at God and saying, God, you're not doing enough. I think it is exactly when we see God for who He is that we realize that God is eternal and what He has done is small in comparison what He can do. And He promises in His Word that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And if we have seen God, we realize that there's more. There's never a day where we will see God and think, Oh, now I figured you out. You know, the day that we figure out God completely, or you think you figured Him out, you'll most probably stop worshipping. Because it's sometimes in the mystery that we worship Him because we know that He's more than we know. And we revel in that mystery. We are not driven to despair by the mystery, but actually excited about the mystery that there's a God that is knowable and totally unknowable all at the same time. And that draws unto us, us into a deep, deep place of worship. And uh, so this morning I, I want to read a scripture from Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm a bit old school, so I'm going to ask you to go to your Bibles or scroll in your phones. Okay. Now in the Amplified Bible it says the following, Habakkuk 3 verse 2, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, set to wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal music. Keep that in mind. A prayer of Habakkuk, set to wild, triumphant music. It says, O Lord, not just Lord, you can almost hear the cry of Habakkuk, O Lord! Now, I believe in interactive reading. So when there's an O, make it an O. God's not monotone. Please read him and then allow him to read you. He says, O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you. And I was afraid, O oh Lord. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make yourself known. I love how Eugene Peterson writes it in the message. Don't tell Henny that I quoted from... I, Henny said I could read from the message, but we shouldn't preach from it. So I'm not preaching from the message. I'm only reading it. Okay. God, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk with orchestra. God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you. And I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. Do amongst us what you did among them. Work among us. As you work among them, as, as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy. God's on His way again, retracing the old salvation route, coming up from the south through Temam, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Skies are blazing with His splendor. His praise is sounding through the earth. His cloud brightness like dawn exploding, spreading forked lightning, shooting from His hand. Isn't that beautiful? I just love... That the Bible's not bland. I just love that the writers, that the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible writers with adjectives to describe 
What kind of glory? Splendor of glory. This beautiful, oh Lord, not just Lord. Oh Lord. There's this beautiful, um, I'm going to read this in Afrikaans because as a deer pants, you know, who of you are Afrikaans? Okay. Most of us, when they say pant, you know, we say, is that a jean pant? <laughs> and, we, and we don't really know the word pant, but we know the word smach. Uh, for those that you, Afrikaans word for smach is to desire from your deepest being. To smach. And it says, soos a voltsbok smach na water, soos smach ek na God. As the deer pants for the water, so I long for you, O God. Ek verlang na God, die lewende God. Wanneer kan ek ingaan en weer voor hem verskyn? My trane is my kos. My tears are my food. Day and night. My adversaries mock me and say, Where is this God? As ek nadink hoe ek voorheen was, as ek ontsteld. Toe het ek geloop saam met die aanbidders en die optog geleid na die tempel van God, terwijl ek sing en jibbel, as I consider my ways how I went up to the temple with rejoicing and dancing and singing and this is the beautiful language of the Bible and I believe it is God wanting to create in us that deep desire for more of Him and uh, I'm so thankful for everything that the Lord is doing I Thank God for every ministry that God has laid upon your heart. I just thank you for the grace that is upon your life to do that. I just love what you guys are exploring in community living. I think I think it's going to become more relevant quite soon um, for a variety of reasons. But And I'm so thankful for everything that the Lord is doing. And I'm so thankful what God is doing in every church. And, I don't want to say a but, I want to put an and there. But I feel like we are stemming the tide, but we are not turning the tide. And I think stemming of the tide is our duty. I think there is a place where human responsibility, stemming the tide through whatever God has given you, meets the sovereignty of God, where God does what only God can do. And God does in five minutes what we couldn't accomplish in five years. I don't want to coin it simply as revival because some people get technical. What is revival? What is awakening? What is an outpouring? What is a refreshing? What is a renewing? What is a reformation? And we all get technical. So I can I just say that when I refer to revival, it's exponentially more of God than what I'm experiencing at the moment exponentially, not a little bit, a whole lot more of God. In a way that nobody can deny it. No skeptic, no atheist can deny that God is on the move. That is, and it's in His church and He refreshes His church in revival. He awakens the sleeping saints, but He also touches our community in revival. So I I believe that we need to keep on stemming the tide and be faithful in what God has given us and be responsible for what God has given us. And we must fervently pray for the God, for God that is the only one that can turn the tide. And you can, and this is what I so love about when Habakkuk writes here, he says, God, I've heard of what you are doing. And Eugene Peterson, I've heard of what my ancestors have seen. And I've heard that it's wonderful and it's obviously that Habakkuk was in a place because later on he says that, you know, the fig tree doesn't blossom. There's no olive oil. The olive oil is not producing. There's no sheep in the, in the, in the pen and, you know, there are cat, no cattle. So he's describing a place of lack. And then he, he prays this prayer to wild, enthusiastic, triumphant music and he says... God, I've heard of you. I've heard of you. I've heard of you, what you have done. And he says, God, come do it again. Come revive it in our midst. Come and make that thing alive in our midst again. That we will never settle for simply stemming the tide if we have access to the one that can turn the tide. And if you go back, so do you know what our ancestors saw? 
Do you know not just biblical or biblical account because I've read the Bible and I've seen great works of God and amazing moves of God and by the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. But somehow I always feel, you know, yeah, but that was the Bible. And that was inspired. You know, those guys were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they were. But we also have access to Holy Spirit. We, we have just as much access to being full and overcome by the Holy Spirit as they are. You know, nobody said, okay, at, well, there are some people that said at the end of the canon, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak anymore, but we won't talk about that this morning. And, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually want to say something about that do this sorry (laughs) Smith Wigglesworth about 110 years ago prophesied that in about 100 more just over 100 years from now there will be an outpouring when the word and the spirit comes together there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and revival such as the world has never seen and we're in that time we're in that time frame and isn't it amazing that when the Lord wants to put the word and the spirit together, the church is in that war. The cessationists and the, you know, the word guys and the spirit guys and the word guys are dead and the spirit guys are flaky. You know, the label that gets put on you. I believe the Lord wants to remove, remove that thing that people have actually said. The Lord never asked us to choose between the word and the spirit. In fact, if we didn't have the Spirit, we wouldn't be able to understand the Word. We would be like Pharisees. We would know the Word, but not find Jesus in it. And uh, so I believe that we need to also start reading history. What God has done in previous revivals. I want to tell you, if you really want to desire for more of God, uh, go and read revival history. Go and read of the hundreds of... No, not hundreds, thousands of revivals throughout the history of man. And don't just go and read the articles, the dangers of revival, the excesses of revival. Go and read about the fruit of revival. Go and read what God has done before, the wondrous things where the church has been pushed down, where the church has been asleep, where economic, social, political stuff was really bad at the beginning of the Great Awakening, just before the Great Awakening, uh, the first Great Awakening, there was the greatest challenges was binge drinking. Gin was, gin's making a comeback now, but it was really cheap then. And I wasn't supposed to know that. Oh yes, Duchess has alcohol-free gin. Okay. <laughs> binge drinking, child abuse was at its height. Does it sound familiar already? fear of terrorism they were afraid that the people from the French Revolution would come over and cause havoc in England and in that political social political things were really bad God came and God revived the nation and God changed things around the effects of that revival on society we are still seeing after one of the awakenings people started thinking hey animals are God's creation we can't abuse animals we can't use them for our pleasure we can't use them we can't abuse them for labor we can't abuse animals and some of those people that were touched in the great awakening started the SPCA that we know nowadays you know the the in the Quaker revival the Quaker family you would know them from Cadbury's chocolate the Cadbury family they were Quakers in other words when the Holy Spirit came on then they shook a little bit they were known as the Quakers at first it was derogatory later on they wore it as a badge that they quaked under the power of the spirit they for the first time started looking at their workers and say we can't enslave our workers we've got to look at a 40 hour week and they created they built a little village for their workers called Bourneville Bourneville Dark and they had sports fields and they started treating their work people not as slaves but as humans William Wilberforce hugely involved in the abolition of trade all as a a result of an outpouring of of God in revival now I want to say to you those for me are great things 
church models, wineskins, they are important as they are. But I want to say to you that compared to what God can do in, this, in revival, those are small things. And I want to make sure and I want to ask you not to not think of small things, but to also think of great things. To allow yourself to think of great things. To allow yourself to pray for great things. Because there's this precedent. This is Habakkuk the prophet in a prayer said to wild triumphant music that God will come through. God is my invincible army, later on he says. He makes my feet like hind feet and I will make progress. I will not stand still in fear, but I will make progress on the high place of my responsibility. And so here is the prophet and he's cheering on the church to say, come on, pray guys, and let's ask God to do it again. But if you don't know what God did before, how will you know if your only experience of church is what you have experienced? I want to say to you, you're going to be poor. Because there are men and women that have gone before us that have seen mighty works of God. That have seen amazing works of God. That have seen in the Hebrides revival where, where young people came from the dance halls that we would call the raves of today. Because nightclubs, do they still exist? You, you can see I don't live in the city. Okay. <laughs> but people, young people came running without preaching. They came running. They were repenting on the side of the street without anyone preaching to them. They were falling in the road and repenting and asking God to save them. They came to the church and asked the church, what must we do to get saved? Okay. Do you believe that that can happen in Cape Town? Do you believe that God can do that again? Do you believe that in the Welsh revival that bars closed, liquor stores closed? I don't know about here in Cape Town, but in Wellington you can bet your bottom dollar if a, shoe, if a shop opens in Church Street, it's a liquor store. We have liquor store, Chinese shop. Liquor store, liquor store, China shop. Love the Chinese people. Don't like the liquor shops that much. I want to ask you, do you really believe do you really believe that God can come in revival and lay on the hearts of people that have liquor stores and are making a lot of money out of the misery of other people, that God can come and convict people to say we're stopping that? Do you believe that crime can drop? Do you believe that crime can drop to 0%, not by 0.1% as we get promised with, as they play with the stats? To make us feel a little bit safer? Do you believe that crime can drop to nothing? That police officers, the only thing that they can do is form choirs to go and sing hymns? Do you believe it? Uh, or do you think it's, uh, it was for then? I want to ask you, if it was for then, why not for now? If God says that the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former house, can we trust God for something greater even that He has done before? Can we trust Him for that? Can we be the people that grab hold of the promises of God? There's a website, Spirit or Fire Prophecy, Southern Tip of Africa. Over 40 prophecies from different denomination streams, people you would not like to hear it from all of them in there at different stages promising that the Lord said that there will be a revival fire that will start at the southern tip of Africa. Where are we? Southern tip of Africa. That will start at the southern tip of Africa and it will spread through Africa like a wildfire and touch the nations of the world. And I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that or is that, oh, that's nice. I, will, I want to say to you, as long as it's a nicety and not a necessity, we will most probably not pray fervently. And here's the thing. The reason why we're not walking in that is because those golden bowls have not been filled up. But we don't know how full they are. I want to tell you that every one of the revivals, the Welsh revival, the Hebrides revival, every single revival that you read of, started in a place where people didn't think that it could happen now. It wasn't like, okay, we've prayed up enough now. We had enough prayer meetings. You know, we are in unity. So we're having these meetings between churches and we're organizing revival meetings. Okay, God, we're ready now. It was a place where the church really looked at themselves and looked at society and cried out, God, we need you. 
need you. We need you come turn this tide. Who of you had the privilege to listen to the Sona address? Who of you felt full of hope after that? I mean, a lot of people felt maybe hopeful and some of like, oh, some more load shedding. And, you know, they promise us, if you really go and look at the Sona address last year, they should actually do that. Okay, let's look at what you said last year and how it's going now. <laughs> okay, can we continue to do what we promised? When we look at those stuff, when we look at world events, when we, when we look at not just in South Africa, but global events, it doesn't seem all that great. Little girls shout at, at grown-ups at the United Nations. And the world is turned upside down. We've got gender politics. We've got that the church needs to deal with. And I feel that in some instances, we are getting it right to stem the tide, but at some places, we are being overrun. And we can't respond adequately. We can't respond quickly enough because just as we thought that we figured out the 73 gender pronouns, they just increased them to over 100. You can now be moon gender. I mean, if that's not confusion, I don't know what confusion is. Even the guy that wants to teach this in schools doesn't know what everything means in the UK. And so I think in certain places we are being overrun. We are being overrun by the things that the world and the enemy has, has set in place and set in motion for a long time. And because the church have not been able or willing even to engage in those things, we, we are being sort of we on the back foot. We... we you know, when we go to, when we go to Parliament, uh, when people like Forza and Cause for Justice, and I thank God for those guys. But you know, they, it's almost like they're just reacting. It's not, they're not front-footed. They're not leading. And the church, we are struggling with that. And, and that is all the more reason that I think that we should really trust God just for us to get on even footing again. God, come and revival. And we're going to keep on being faithful in what you tell us to do. Our responsibility. We're going to pray. And we're going to do every ministry that we can. That you lay in our hearts. But God, we really need you. And you've done it before, God. There's no reason you can do it again. And more. And more. I want to tell you one of the best ways that you can stir your hunger. Obviously, read the word. Spend time with hungry people. Exercise the word of God. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Go and read the revival history. I want to tell you, I, I was reading that and I said, God, no. You, no. God, you can do it again. You can do it again. And I'm not talking about all the supernatural things that, that happened. Those are great too. I really enjoy them. I really enjoy the fact that children in the Indonesian revival more than 60 times saw water turning into wine for communion. Bands of children at night walking through the forest to a next village to preach the gospel and people getting saved. And people asked them, aren't you afraid of the dark in the jungle? He said, why should we be afraid? The angels are with us all the time. In Indonesia, just the Indonesian revival, at one place they were praying and the whole church in which they were praying lifted from the ground and hovered in the air. I don't know about you. I've never seen that. I've seen a few things. And it's not like I'm seeking after the hovering church. You know, that would be a great name for a church. The hovering church. <laughs> but it just shows me that God can do things that our minds, because some of you are sitting here and say, ah, I wonder about that. In the Hebrides revival, sometimes in the middle of a, of a plane, the people all of a sudden would see a sail ship. And when they saw the sail ship, their response was worshiping God. Now, I don't know how they got from vision of a sailboat to worshiping God, but that happened a few times in the Hebrides revival. Sailors that sailed around the, the Hebrides islands and the Lewis islands came under the conviction, just sailing around the, 
the island they came under the conviction of sin and came to the lord just because of the presence of god i don't know about you how about cape town how about that new york prayer meeting that started with a few people that started and later on they had to have multiple venues in the city because businessmen came for an hour took off work their lunch hour and they came to pray thousands and thousands of work of workers in a city just imagine this in cape town ctic and it was in the newspapers jesus was the talk of town just imagine the burger let's make it cape town the burger will never write in english cape town businessmen meet for prayer every day thousands of businessmen and the city changed do you believe that that could happen do you believe that it could be you do you believe or is that somewhere in the by and by for the next generation or can we be the people that desperately cry out to god and we might just be the people that fill up that bowl of incense that gets poured out in revival where Jesus becomes everything and everything else becomes nothing. And Jesus doesn't need to be snuck into conversations very politely and politically correctly, but he actually becomes the talk of the town. And the people that you've been trying to reach are running to you and say, how can I be saved? And the testimonies of Jesus is all over the city. And the hospitals are emptying out. And the policemen say, we don't know what to do. There's no crime. Nobody is, there's no crime in our city. There's no drugs in our city. There's no bottle stores. There's no alcohol abuse in our city. Do you believe that it's possible? Do you believe the transforming power of when God comes? Now, if one of you have a plan to do what I've just described in your own strength, please come and see me afterwards because I really need to speak to you. You really need to impart that wisdom that in a day, God can change a city, God can change a nation, and God can overrun the enemy camp instead of the enemy camp overrunning us and we just trying to stop the flood by sticking our fingers in little holes, but the water keeps on pouring through. And here again, I'm going to close with this, and I do want to say I do thank God God for every single one of you if you are involved in a ministry and especially in in previously disadvantaged where there's a lot in Wellington there's a lot of tick, tick abuse and you know social abuse and verbal abuse and alcohol it's just Wellington is a world beater in many things like fetal alcohol syndrome <laughs> TB tick we, we like the capital and uh can we trust God that God can come and change that in a day? Because every, and I thank God for every ministry that, that gets like the two and the three guys out. But we can't fool ourselves further that for every two and three guys that we get out, 50 go in. And we can't pat ourselves on the back and say, well, at least we're trying. We need to ask God, God, we can stem the tide, but only you can turn the tide. Only you can turn the tide in South Africa. Only you can turn the tide worldwide. We can stem it. But we need you to come. It's like that story about the guy that was picking starfish off the beach, throwing them into the sea. There were about a million of them on the beach. And the one guy came and said, what are you doing? You're not making a difference. And he said, I'm making a difference to this one. So I do think that we need to fulfill our responsibility. But we need to ask God for a tsunami wave that will come and sweep all of those back into the sea. If we think that we can accomplish, that we can do it, that we can somehow pull ourselves up by our own shoestrings and our own bootstraps, I think we are in for disappointment. So I want to I wanna ask you this morning, part of your prayer, can you start? If you believe that God will move again in revival, if you can get it over your heart or if you can get it over your heart to say, God's not going to move. Don't pray. But if you have a sense and a desire that God can do it again. And I want to tell you, if you're going to ask, but what will it do to show for Cape Town? It's going to be great. It's going to be great for every church in the city. It's going to be great for the city. 
it's going to be great for the nation. It's going to be better for everyone. It might be highly disruptive of our little plans. I need to say that. Prayer meeting spontaneously going through the night or carrying on for 120 days or like the Moravian mission started 24-7 for 100 years. It might be slightly disruptive. (laughs) But what we will find and what we will see will astound us so much that the disruption would be just nothing. It would be nothing. It would not be something that we say, oh, we're missing out on that. So I want to ask you this morning, make some of that your prayer and say, God, if you do it before, revive it in our times. We've heard of what you've done. And if you haven't heard, go and read. We've got Google. Go and Google the revivals of thee. And please don't, Please don't read all the articles that come up about the revival police, why there shouldn't be revival and why we're already in revival. You know, I think we're seeing little flashes every time that the kingdom comes. I believe that there are flashes of what real revival can look like. But I by no means think that we are in full-blown revival. If it is, then it's not really powerful. So please keep on praying. Your prayers might be the one that tips the golden bowl. Your continued prayer might be the one that tips that golden bowl. And maybe in a hundred years' time, people will say, in December or November of 2020, something significant happened in Cape Town. God came to town. And our lives will change forever. I wish you could be there. Like they told the stories about the Azusa Street revival. The people said what they missed the most was the manifest glory cloud in the meetings where anything was possible. Miracles upon miracles. People gave their lives to the Lord, pursued holiness like never before. A lot of people think when the revival is too much, it's messy. It draws people to Christ's people. It draws people to holiness. It causes people to love the word of God. All the stuff that we are praying for, just in a magnifying sense, and God does it so it's not a man that stands there and hoo-haws and hypes you up. It's the spirit of God that births inside of people. And as Diabia said this morning, it saturates right into the depths of us and it changes us forever. But here's the thing. If you start praying for revival, do you realize that you can't stop until it happens? (laughs) Do you realize that you can't stop? Once you commit to praying for revival, you can't really stop until you see it. Even if it's not in your generation. Even if it takes 30 years. And I was like, oh, but somebody's got to start. Somebody's got to start like the crippled lady and the, and the blind lady in the Hebrides Island that prayed for 30 years that revival would come. Could it be us? Or could we be the recipients of ones that have gone before us that had prayers of saints day and night, night and day, coming to the throne say, God, we love what you are doing. Now come and do more. Pour out your spirit in revival. Do what we cannot do, God. Do what we cannot do. Amen.